You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Well, good morning. Um, after Pete's excellent and engaging talk on sex last week, I'm wondering who has kept up the 30-day challenge so far? <laughs> there's a few smiles around the room. So it's, oh, there's even a hand at the back there. Josh, Josh, put your hand down. No. Now, in seriousness, I, moving from sex to Easter is quite a jump, I realise that, but I am convinced that the truth about the death and resurrection of Jesus is as exciting as sex. Trust me on this one. Let's see where we go in the next half an hour. I actually preached on Easter um, a couple of months ago in January, and we did the story of Mary Magdalene. So I feel like um, I might be going over some of the ground that I would have gone over had I been uh, just doing this fresh today. So I'm going to take it from a slightly different angle. And I want to look at the, the truth of the cross, what happened at the cross, through the framing of a story. And that story is the testimony of Peter. Because I think out of everyone, the person that can teach us most about what happened at the cross is Peter. Because let's face it, he had a ringside seat for the first three years of Jesus' ministry. He was there on the night that Jesus was killed, and he was there um, in the resurrection afterwards. So Peter, let's tell you a little bit about Peter. Now the the picture on the uh, your left, my right, is the traditional picture that um, Catholics would show of the original Pope, the father of the church. Um, I want to talk about a slightly different Peter this morning, this guy on the right, a young Peter, a bold leader, someone who um, was a fisherman. That's what we know about Peter. First of all, we'll pick up his story um, earlier in Luke, where um, Jesus meets um, Peter for the first time, introduced as a fisherman. Now, you might not be aware, but I do fancy myself as a bit of a fisherman, actually. Um, I've lived in cities all my life. Um, here's a picture of the, the biggest fish that I've ever caught. Um, yeah, it's big, isn't it? Yeah. Um, that is a yellow fin tuna, and that took about half an hour to reel in. Um, it fought and fought and fought. Now, I might, might put that picture up, and you might think, actually, I'm a good fisherman. To be honest, I'm a rubbish fisherman. I've been out many times and caught nothing. Um, I think I like fishing because I like to eat the fish, if I'm honest. And I did eat that fish. It was beautiful. Um, but Peter was a different kind of fisherman to me. Whereas I'm an amateur fisherman, Peter was a professional fisherman. He had a boat. He had supplies. He had equipment. It was his um, job in the town where he grew up, which was Bethsaida. And he would catch the fish and sell the fish, and people would eat the fish. It was a good, it was a good deal. It was his job. But when Jesus meets him, his job completely changes on that day. So let's pick up the story where Peter first encounters Jesus. It's Luke 5, 1 to 11, if you'd like to read along. So while Jesus was standing by the lake of Gethsemaret, many people pushed to get near him. They wanted to hear the word of God. Jesus saw two boats on the shore. The fishermen were not there because they were washing their nets. Jesus got into a boat which belonged to Simon. Jesus asked him to push it out a little way from the land. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Push out into deep water. Let down your nets for some fish. Simon said to him, Teacher, we have worked all night and we have caught nothing. But because you told me, I will let the net down. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets started to break. They called to their friends working in other boats to come over and help them. They came and both boats were so full of fish 
that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he got down at the feet of Jesus. He said, go away from me, Lord, because I am a sinful man. He and all those with him were surprised and wondered about the many fish. Probably an understatement there. Um, They were working together with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for men. When they came to land with their boats, they left everything and followed Jesus. So what, what do we see here? Well, there's two stories about a miraculous cache of fish in Peter's life. One of them is this story that we're going to look at now. Another one we're going to look at in about 20 minutes' time, which is towards the end of his time with Jesus on the earth. Both of them have a miraculous catch of fish. And we need to look at both of them to really understand what's, understand what's going on. First of all, in this, we see that Simon, or Peter, or Simon, or Peter, he's kind of got two names. What's going on? Well, when we see often in the Bible where Peter or, or someone else encounters Jesus for the first time, or encounters God for the first time, the change is so dramatic. It's a new life, a new creation that God renames them. We see it with Abraham becoming Abraham. We saw it with Paul becoming, or Saul becoming Paul. And we see it here, uh, Peter or Cephas becoming, or Simon becoming Peter. And Jesus renames him. But at this point in the story, Simon doesn't know who, who Jesus is. He hasn't been renamed yet. So that's why he's referred to as Simon. So at this point, um, Simon is yet to really fully understand who he's got in the boat with him. Then this miracle happens. It's incredible. I think at this point, Peter's just, just, just like, what, what, what is happening in front of me? I've, got, I've taken this guy out in the boat. He did some good teaching. And now there's just this miraculous catch of fish. And we see Peter's reaction. He's, he's a bit strange. Go away from me. He wants nothing to do with Jesus at this point. It's like he's freaked out. What is going on here? Well, there's something which is often misunderstood about the presence of God. We can, um, as Christians, portray it as a really beautiful and wonderful and tender thing. But you know what? There's loads of times in the Bible where the presence of God is a terrible, painful, and wounding thing. Think about um, Jacob meeting a man at night who jumps him. He's on his way to meet his brother Esau. And the man grabs him and wrestles with him all night long. And as the sun's coming up, the man turns to Jacob and says, I've got to go now. Yeah, that's a bit weird. But then Jacob realizes that he's been wrestling with God, not a man. And at that point, God just reveals a little bit more and he touches his hip. And Jacob never walks the same again. It's like he's been playing with Jacob, just keeping him in the presence. But he never sees his face. And after that, Jacob names that place Peniel. Where, which means I saw the face of God, which ironically, he didn't actually see the face of God because it was dark. If he'd have seen the face of God, he'd have died. That's how powerful the presence of God is. Isaiah 6, um, Isaiah sees an amazing vision of God and his response is just to fall down on his knees and say, I feel like I'm coming apart. When you touch upon the holiness and power of God, often the response is, I'm so sinful, I'm so unholy, How could I be in a boat with Jesus? And that's kind of the response you're getting from Peter here. He doesn't really know what to do. His his sinfulness is so apparent to him, he wants to run away from Jesus. There was um, one of the most influential thinkers on religion of the last 
century was a guy called Rudolf Otto. He, he uh, wasn't a Christian, but he looked at religions and encounters with um, the supernatural. And one of the things he um, recognized was that there's this duality of response or reaction that all religions have, that when you draw close to something which is godlike, you both are amazingly fascinated by it, but also incredibly fearful. It's those two things go together. We see it at a, a human level as well. So um, one of my um, favorite TV magicians is a guy called Dynamo. Who's seen Dynamo? Yeah, a few hands in the room. I mean, this guy can do the most incredible tricks, and they are tricks. He's not pretending to uh, do genuine, miraculous signs, but at a, a human level. And if you've noticed how people react to when they see a magic trick being done, being done, they have one of two reactions. Either they want to peer in and understand, and they can't believe what's happening in front of them, or they pick up and they run down the street. They want to get as far away from this guy as possible. At a really kind of minimal level, that's kind of what's going on. There's this um, godlike, miraculous sign happening in front of them. At this point, Peter's response is to be away from Jesus. They're in deep water. I'm sure if they were in shallow water, he'd have been out of that boat up the beach and gone. So, Peter runs from Jesus. This is his initial response. This is the reaction of the first story. You, I th- you know, often we talk to people who say that they've, um, they've tried religion. They've tried getting close to Jesus. Maybe they've been on an alpha course. Maybe they've, they've begun to serve at church. Maybe they um, help out in lots of different ways. And they're trying to search for something which is spiritual or fill a hole. But, you know, that doesn't help one little bit. Because if you're not born again, as you draw close to Jesus, all you get is this terror and this dread. It becomes more and more and more. And that's why people can fall away from church, because they never actually found the true Jesus or they found, or they never became in Christ. They just got close to Christ. It's better to be far from Jesus than just kind of on the edge. It's, 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 a, it's a horrible thing. Um, but Jesus then calls Peter to follow him. Jesus' reaction to, um, to Peter's uh, get away from me was to say, don't be afraid, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of man. So Peter became Jesus' disciple. For three years, he went on the road with Jesus. He sat uh, around um, meals and teaching and in the quiet moments and in the public moments. He was there in the good times and the bad, just listening and learning and developing. As we look at their relationship, the, these two men are, are friends. Peter's part of the, the intimate um, circle within Uh, the 12 disciples. He's referred to as being within the three. In fact, Peter is often named as the first amongst the list of disciples. He had a very, very close relationship with Jesus. He's seen Jesus preach, teach, heal, cast out demons, walk on water. Peter has been there through it all. And now we're going to pick up the story at probably the darkest moment in Peter's life. It's also the darkest moment in Jesus' life. It's Easter weekend. And it's Good Friday. Luke 22, 31 and 34. They've just had the Last Supper. And Jesus leans in to Peter and says this. Simon, Simon. Recognizes using his old name here. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. 
But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So Jesus is referring to Simon, the old Peter. He's saying, Peter, you're, you're about to go back to your old self. I know that you're going to fail me. And that, you know, that, that's kind of strange, isn't it? That Jesus knows that Peter's going to fail him. In fact, he knows that you're going to fail him. He knows that I'm going to fail him. Yet still, he's willing to go to the cross. That's one of the amazing things about what happened later on in that day. It wasn't that Jesus was under any illusion about the goodness of the people around him. He wasn't thinking, oh, I'm doing this because I've got some good guys here. I can't let them down. He was doing it knowing that one by one they would betray him. And his closest friend out of all of them, Peter, would betray him. And that, that is utterly amazing because if he's willing to do that for Peter, he's willing to do that for you. He's willing to do that for me. There is no one which is beyond um, saving, which is really good news for us. So Jesus looks at him and says, you're going back to your old ways. You're going to deny me three times. He's predicting that this is going to happen. But Peter's like, no way. I, I'd die for you, Jesus. I'm your, I'm your best disciple. I'd go to prison for you. I, I would lay my life down. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. You're going to deny me three times. But when you do, I'm going to draw you back. And we'll see a little later on how that works out. The other thing in, the, in these verses, which we see, is, is this reference to Satan. He says, Peter, Satan has come to me and he's asked you to sift you like wheat. Well, Satan is real. Demons are real. They're created beings, angels who have rebelled against God. And they're responsible for evil, injustice, and sin, and death on the earth. And when we sin, when we fail, it's like we're conspiring with them against God. And I just want to be really real about it. That, that, that they are real. Now, some of you may have seen uh, the recent Noah film. Uh, put your hand up if you've seen Noah. Okay, a few hands in the room. Put your hand up if you're planning to see Noah and you haven't seen it yet. Okay, I'm going to spoil it for you. There's a big flood and they all die. But Noah is lives. But anyway, th- these guys here, okay, these, this is how demons or fallen angels or the watchers are portrayed in the Noah film. And it's all, they might look scary, but this one's got a few little eyelashes here. And they, they actually turn out to be quite cute and nice and quite helpful. Um, and I just want to kind of say a few things. that d- Demons are not like this. They're not lava monsters for a start. But they're also, they're not out to help us. They're not on our side. And we need to be really careful when um, Hollywood portrays theology for us. Um, I think just a, f- a few other comments on Noah, just because it is such a big thing kind of now. You might have had conversations. Um, now, my problem with it is not that they've taken liberties with the story and maybe um, added a few extra things in or done, changed some things around. To be honest, art isn't meant to be like that anyway. Um, it was Pablo Picasso that said, art is a lie that points to a truth. What we need to do is work out what truth does it point to. 
Actually, my problem with Noah, the way that Hollywood has portrayed it, is ultimately the salvation of mankind has come from within. Noah has recognized a goodness, a love that is within himself that means that he can go on with mankind and build Canada. You know what? That is a lie. That is not the truth. That is not the gospel. Our truth is that Jesus is the way to save mankind, not within us. We fail. Just like Peter, we fail. We've got no hope without Jesus. We fail and we'll continue to fail. Without Jesus, we've got no hope. So Satan is our enemy and our adversary, and on Good Friday, he was active in Peter's life. Peter promises that um, he won't fail Jesus, but um, we, know, we know the story. So we pick it up in Luke 22, 54 to 62. Then they seized him and led him away, speaking about Jesus, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down amongst them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. Then a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are, the, you are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter fails Jesus. And this is kind of a problem for us because Peter is the best. He's the one that led the disciples. He spent three years in Jesus' personal presence, learning from him. If Peter fails, what hope have we? And if the best fails, how, how on earth do we have any hope? We see here that, that Peter, it isn't, he's not he's even like, facing suffering at this point. It's a servant girl that questions him. It's not illegal to be a follower of Jesus. And a servant girl really doesn't pose any threat to him. Yet, at the, like the lowest level, the easiest way, he's just, you know what, I didn't even know him. It's an utter tragedy. And I guess at this point in the story, if it finished here, we'd have no hope. It'd be a real, real sad affair. Yet, we know it doesn't finish there. We know that after Jesus turned and looked at Peter, the next few hours, he's on a cross. And he's dying for Peter. He's dying for you. And he's dying for me. Jesus does not fail Peter. So this brings us to the happier point in the story. Jesus fails no one. Peter failed Jesus, but Jesus did not fail Peter. We fail Jesus, but Jesus does not fail us. That's the gospel. It's the essence of Christianity. So what's Jesus going to do? Well, he's going to go on that cross. 
and he's going to suffer and die for us. Three days later, Jesus rises from the death, what Easter morning is all about. And he's conquered sin and death, and word gets out, Jesus is alive. And Peter is amongst the first to run to the tomb and to try and find Jesus. He wants to see his friend again. But he doesn't find him at that point. There's a few references to Jesus appearing to um, the disciples, but we don't really know much more about what happens at those points. What we do know very clearly is a story um, a little later in John 21, 1 to 14, which is the first point we have recorded of where Peter has a conversation with Jesus. And if you remember our story from earlier on where there was a miraculous catch of fish, it's going to happen again. And it's like Jesus is taking Peter back to the first encounter with him. And he's reminding him of, of what he called him to. So we pick it up. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did... They were able to haul the net. They weren't, though they were able to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, jumped in the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. And they did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So here we see the same problem, no fish. The same direction from Jesus, do what I tell you to do. And the same miracle happens, a miraculous catch of fish. However, a completely different reaction from Peter. Remember in the fourth story, he's at the other end of the boat. Get away from me, Jesus, in this example. He's in the water, and he's either running or swimming towards Jesus. He can't wait to be back in his presence. So what has happened? Well, you need to understand, at this point in the story, Peter is yet to speak to his friend again. He has unresolved guilt about that night. He denied Jesus three times. Remember, Peter spent three years with Jesus since the story in Luke 5. Peter is much aware of who Jesus is now, and he's aware of his own sin and failures. He knows all about how he's supposed to live. He had the ultimate test, but he denied Jesus. He chickened out. He was a coward. 
Yet this time he runs as fast as he can to get back to Jesus' side. What happened? Well, Peter now understands the gospel. He understands that he failed. But he also understands Jesus did not fail. Therefore, we get to praise Jesus. I wonder, do you run to or from Jesus? Are you more like the Peter in the first story or like the Peter in the second story? When faced with the holiness of God, do you think, oh, my guilt. How can I possibly stand before a God like that? Or do you understand that you failed, that Jesus did not fail, and they get to go right into the center of who Christ is? The story continues, John 21, 15 to 19. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him for the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself. When you were wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you ought not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. See, it's come full circle. Miracle, loads of fish, follow me. Three years later, miracle, load of fish, follow me. It's like he's reinstated Peter. And that gives us hope, because if Peter gets the hope, then we also get the hope. If Peter can fail so dramatically in front of Jesus, we also can fail so dramatically in front of Jesus. And it's not the, uh, the volume or the amount of our failure which impacts do we get to hang out with Jesus again. It's because of what Jesus did. Jesus does not fail. It's quite a nice equation, isn't it? It's not based on us, which is amazing. Um, so these men are friends, um, and they're now restoring their uh, relationship. What I love about Jesus at this point is he doesn't turn to Peter and call him up on all of the ways he was a coward, how you know, a little servant girl called him out and he was scared, and that, which he was fully right to do. Instead, he goes to the root cause. Do you love me? And when we fail, ultimately, it's one of two things. Either we don't love Jesus enough or we don't understand how much he loves us. It's all those two things. And when we sin, it's a heart thing against God. That's why it comes back to love in this story. And that's why Jesus is asking him, do you love me? So all of your problems and mine, they really come down to that question. Is a friendship with the living God not just an idea, but a person and a person named Jesus who loves us? So what happens next? Well, uh, shortly after this, Jesus kind of hangs around with the disciples for a short amount of time. But just a few weeks later, 
Jesus ascends up into heaven. And Peter, it's only been a few weeks since uh, he's denied Jesus, suddenly finds himself leading the global church. At that point, it's just a few of them in a room, but in a very short time, this thing's going to explode. And Peter finds himself preaching on the day of Pentecost, and thousands are added to the church, and this thing explodes. In other words, he's completely restored back to the purpose for what Jesus called him. I will make you a fisher of man, and thousands are added to the church. It's amazing. And I'm sure when Peter wrote his story, um, or talked with the other gospel writers about their account of his story, he was, he was kind of tempted to, you know, that, you know that thing about denying Jesus, just, just leave it out. Don't need to put that in there, really. You know, if you focus on me preaching on Pentecost and thousands of people uh, responding, that's, you know, that's the good bit. You don't need to mention that bit. But he puts the failure in there. And um, it's hope for us. Because if a man like Peter can fail, it means we all will fail. But Peter's restored. So we also can be restored. And I'd like to say that that was the last time Peter failed in his life, but it's not. We read later in the book of Acts that Paul has to um, call him up because at that point there's Jews which have become Christians and there's Gentiles, the non-Jews have become Christians. And Peter's kind of hanging out with the Jews and pretending to be all Jewish Christian and treating the Gentiles as second-class Christians. And Paul confronts him to his face and says, Peter, face to face again, just like around the campfire. Peter, it's not on. And so... The fact that we will fail and continue to fail through a life does not mean that the gospel is not strong enough and powerful enough to count for all of those failures as well. And Peter grew old. And we know from history that um, he, 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 he went on and had quite a long ministry. But we also know, um, it's not in the Bible, but um, from historical accounts, how Peter died. And he had an opportunity to... Um, not rectify what he did, but he replayed that, that night many years later where um, he was asked to deny Jesus and he refused and it cost him his life. And he was, um, historical accounts would say that he was crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was crucified. And so eventually in life he, he kind of got there in, in understanding um, that he... he He shouldn't be a coward before Jesus. But that wasn't his salvation. It was because of what Jesus did. So if I had to sum up um, the gospel in three words, it would be you fail, I fail, we fail. Jesus does not fail. Praise Jesus. And that's what we learn from the story of Peter. That's what we, um, our hope hangs on that. Just like I said, it's not about Peter redeeming himself later in life. Christ already did that. Jesus already did that. But he learned to love him really well. And that's why he was willing to die. Um, in, a, in a few moments, we're going to take communion. And what I love about communion is it's the... I mean, it's like Jesus wanted to give us a uh, visual um, demonstration every single time we got together about what happened on Easter. It's like he tried to make it really easy for us to remember what happened at Easter. So that's why we eat the bread and we drink the wine. Um, when you take communion, Pete's going to lead us. When you take communion, I want you to just think about, 
Are you running from Jesus? Are you running to him? I'd say that if you're running from him, there's an offer this morning to put that behind you, to understand that we've all failed, but Jesus does not fail. And instead, run towards him. Stop being like Simon in the boat in the early gospel to Peter being in the boat who just jumps in that water and runs to Jesus. There's an opportunity to do that. Um, Let's pray and then we can uh, do communion. Jesus, we love you. That you were willing to die. That you were willing to pay the price that we deserve. That we fail you and that we will continue to fail you because we are weak. But you did not fail us. And you will not fail us. And our hope is in that. That you are our supreme champion. The one who conquered death. The one who broke our chains. The one who wants us to be close to him. That is an incredible offer. An incredible gift. And this Easter, we don't want to forget that. We want to remember you. We want to remember you working in our lives. We want to invite you to continue to work in our lives. And even though we fail you, you always welcome us back. And that's grace. In your name, amen.